the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The White House seems to change their tune in the latest development of the Biden classified document scandal. On top of the merits and sort of the substance of the scandal, the rollout and the response from the White House has been absolutely dreadful. States like Illinois are looking to ban large capacity magazines in the latest attempts at gun control. Keep going after our Second Amendment rights when the court keeps smacking them down. Goldman Sachs stocks drop amid Tuesday's stock market slide. Right now we are towards the end of the cycle and whether it's a cycle ending in 23 or 24, it's probably on its last legs. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, January 18th. I'm Mike Scott. Previously, the White House claimed that President Biden works at his Delaware home. During the White House briefing back on February 25th of 2022, former Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Joe Biden can get work done from anywhere, including his home in Wilmington. However, now the White House is claiming that the residence is personal. This switch comes amid a number of classified documents from Joe Biden's time as Barack Obama's vice president were found at the home. And Republican lawmakers have asked for visitors' logs to ascertain who may have had access to those documents. The Biden administration made the statement while trying to explain why visitors' logs don't exist at the Biden's Wilmington residence. The White House refusing to provide additional details on the timing of when the documents were publicly disclosed. This even as the administration calls out Republicans for what they view as hypocrisy. The White House now pointing the finger at Republicans for making this into what the GOP, they call GOP political theater. And in a call with reporters today, the White House said Republicans are, quote, faking outrage, even though they defended the actions of former President Donald Trump. Republicans on Capitol Hill are continuing to press for more details, demanding visitor logs for President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home, where some of these documents from his time as vice president were discovered. The Secret Service and the White House say there aren't logs for the president's personal residence. Now, the Biden administration is facing criticism from Republicans and some Democrats over the handling of the classified documents. The White House continues to say that they are fully cooperating with the special counsel, even as House Republicans ready their next move, pushing forward on their own investigations. However, reports have shown that Joe Biden has held legislative meetings at the Wilmington home. In addition to classified documents being found at Biden's private office at the Penn-Biden Center in November, a number of Obama-era classified documents were also found last week in the garage of the Wilmington home. The discovery was made during a search of the Biden-Wilmington residence for classified documents. 
Biden's handling of the classified documents is now the subject of an investigation led by a special counsel appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland. Guy Benson, townhall.com's political editor and host of The Guy Benson Show, joins us on the Daybreak Insider podcast to discuss Joe Biden's classified document scandal and why it's important. The question is, what does the law say? And the law governs the handling of these types of classified documents, some of which we know are at the very highest levels of classification. So the most closely kept secrets in our federal government. So people might say without perfect knowledge of what the documents can contain, that it's not that big of a deal one way or another. Really, that's irrelevant. What's relevant or what should be relevant is the law. The radio host tells us that he does not believe that it's appropriate for Joe Biden's personal lawyers to continue to helm the search for more classified documents. There was a Wall Street Journal story that came out on Tuesday that said the Justice Department had looked into that and they were in negotiations with Biden's team over who would handle this sort of thing. And I guess they all decided that Biden's lawyers could continue uh, with that role because they had been cooperative so far. I just don't know why that's still tenable. Why should we be trusting the attorneys of the president, whose literal job it is to protect him and his presidency, to be totally forthcoming and not shade anything his way. The president's political and personal interests may not align with the truth or the national interest, and why they are still the ones who are doing all the searching and all the reporting and all the updating is beyond me. It does not seem appropriate. Benson explains why he believes some laws may already have been broken. Well, I think it's almost undeniable that laws have been broken. We've seen other high-level figures like Hillary Clinton get off the hook for worse. Uh, it's, I think, unlikely at this point that former President Trump will be prosecuted for documents, because I guess there's just a special standard for special people. But if normal, average government workers, or even relatively high-up government officials, had been caught with top-secret documents, in their personal office in a closet somewhere, that would be a clear-cut violation of the law. Whether or not there are more of them lurking out there, I don't know. You would think that a competent organization would have figured out exactly where they all are and made sure there were none left, but they told us last week that the search was complete, and then it emerged over the weekend that there was more documents that had come to light. So I would not close the door to the possibility that there might be even more of this to come. The Daybreak Insider would like to thank Guy Benson for joining us. If you want to read more from Guy, check out his writings at townhall.com. Follow him on Twitter at Guy P. Benson and listen to his radio show, The Guy Benson Show. China said Tuesday that its populations declined last year for the first time in six decades. An historic shift with profound implications from the world's second largest economy. Daybreak Insider's congressional correspondent, Bernie Bennett, has more details on that story. Officials from the National Bureau of Statistics said in 2022, mainland China suffered a population decrease of 850,000 people. There were a total of 9.56 million births, a record low birth rate of 6.77 per thousand, and 10.41 million deaths. The announcement was part of a larger release of economic data for 2022, a year when President Xi Jinping's strict zero-COVID policies weighed heavily on growth. 
Officials reported a 3% increase in gross domestic product, beating expectations, but still one of the weakest figures in decades. Bernie Bennett reporting. According to reports, an Illinois legal team and Second Amendment advocacy groups have come together to file suit against the land of Lincoln's new ban on so-called assault weapons and large-capacity magazines. The Illinois Gun Rights Alliance released a statement on its website saying in part, quote, When the Illinois General Assembly passed HB 5471 and the governor signed it the same day, they proved that no restriction would ever be enough for them, end quote. Illinois HB 5471, or the so-called Protect Illinois Communities Act, bans the sale and distribution of so-called assault weapons and some high-capacity magazines. While the new coalition is gearing up to challenge the law in federal court, it's also pushing back in the court of public opinion. Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com joined the Salem Radio Network and says that he believes that these moves are in response to the Supreme Court upholding the right to keep and bear arms. I think this is a direct result of the Supreme Court's decision in Bruin, uh, which you know reminded uh, gun control advocates that not only do we have a right to keep arms, we have the right to bear them as well. This is the third uh, really bad decision from the court as far as gun control advocates are concerned. So I think this is their reaction. This is their full court press. We're going to try to you know, ban carry as, in as many places as we can. We're going to try to make it as expensive as possible to get a carry license. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to try to ban, quote, unquote, assault weapons uh, in every blue state this year. Edwards says that, in his opinion, many Democrat-led states are simply getting desperate. So this challenged New York's concealed carry laws, which uh, were known as sort of a may-issue system, right? Meaning even if you passed all of the uh, background checks, you did all of the required training, you may get a concealed carry license, or you may not, uh, because it's up to the whims of the authorizing agent in the state. Well, that challenge or that policy was challenged in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. You, you need to have a system that looks like what we have in places like Pennsylvania, a shall-issue system, right, where there is no discretion on the part of a uh, judge or a police officer to say, I don't like Chris. He doesn't get a license. Um, That's what was challenged. That law was overturned. And even though that law was only in place in like eight states, gun control advocates know that's the writing on the wall, right? They've they've lost their handgun ban in Heller versus D.C. Now they've lost on the right to carry in uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. So they are desperate uh, to try to figure out, uh, you know, how on earth to – uh, keep going after our Second Amendment rights when the court keeps smacking them down. The firearm journalist goes on to explain that while many gun crimes are given a slap on the wrist, gun control advocates target legal gun owners. One of the uh, the problems that Democrats have sort of boxed themselves into here, you know, going back several years, they're the party of defund the police. Uh, they're the party that, you know, wants to reimagine policing in the criminal justice system, which you'd think would make them opposed to creating a whole bunch of new nonviolent possessory crimes carved out of a constitutional right. But no, that, that, that's the one blind spot they have, right, when it comes to uh, uh, prosecutions and the law. Um, and so we are in this weird spot where, you know, Democrats who say, oh, we've got, you know, the prison, school to prison pipeline. We've got, you know, too many laws on the books. But we've got to put more on there, especially when we're dealing with legal gun owners. At the same time, 97 percent of felony cases in this country end up in plea bargains. 
And so guys like the one that you're talking about, rather than going to prison, will get probation, they'll get a slap on the wrist, and Democrats complain about the high violent crime rates, and, the, and, and again, their excuse and their answer is to target legal gun owners. Edwards says that the Illinois sheriffs he's talked to have stated they will not enforce the new Illinois law. About nine out of ten sheriffs in Illinois have said that they will not enforce the state's new ban on so-called assault weapons or possessing, quote-unquote, large-capacity magazines. Um, at least they will not be arresting people solely for uh, breaking that law. And you've got a lot of state's attorneys downstate, right, outside of Chicago, who are saying, we're not going to prosecute these cases, even if the sheriff or a, a local jurisdiction brings these cases to me. So as you said, Prisker sort of insinuated that he had the power to remove sheriffs. He doesn't. Uh, Attorney General Kwame Raul came out yesterday and said, well, if these sheriffs don't do the job, somebody else will, implying that maybe the state police will step in and, you know, enforce these laws in, in rural Illinois. Um I think they've really bitten off more than they can chew here. They passed a law that I believe is flagrantly unconstitutional. Uh, the vast majority of county sheriffs in the state of Illinois have said, yeah, we think it's unconstitutional, too. And we're not going to violate anybody's rights by arresting them for, uh, you know, possessing a magazine. And, Chris, getting back to what you talked about, you know, where, where serious crimes aren't getting prosecuted. The violation of the, the magazine, ban, I believe, is a uh, class six misdemeanor in Illinois. It's basically a low level misdemeanor. The idea that violent criminals are going to be stopped by this law is absolutely absurd. Edwards tells us whenever lawmakers try to ban guns, the sales of those firearms always increases. We saw this phenomenon in Oregon back in uh, November after they passed Measure 114 and gun sales increased, I think, 400 uh, percent. In Illinois, it was the same thing before this so-called assault weapons ban went into effect. I spoke with a gun store owner in De Plain, Illinois, and he said rifle sales were up. 10 times what they were the year before. So a nearly a 1,000% increase in the sale of these guns that, you know, Democrats wanted to ban. Um, yeah, we see this phenomenon. Look, you tell Americans you can't have something, and there are a whole bunch of Americans who say, want to bet? Yeah. You know, and, and, and we see that with all kinds of things. But uh, it certainly holds true when it comes to our right to keep firearms and commonly owned firearms. Meantime, even Chicago's biggest papers are starting to warn readers that the new ban may not fare well in court. More National Merit Awards have been withheld from students in Northern Virginia. Daybreak Insider's Keith Peters has more on this developing story. The Washington Examiner reports that parents complained that some Fairfax County Public Schools and Loudoun County Public Schools had delayed notifying them of their high school child's status as a National Merit Commended Scholar a practice that could hurt college-bound students. Both Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and State Attorney General Jason Miaris have been informed of the delays, and Miaris has promised a full investigation. One parent told the local media outlet the schools have spent far too much time on pet projects and not on academics. Keith Peters reporting. On Tuesday, the Dow Jones lost 355 points, dragged down by a slide in Goldman Sachs shares. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq composite rose 0.2% and the S&P 500 hovered at a flat line. Goldman slid about 6% after the bank reported its worst earnings miss in a decade for the fourth quarter. Its results were brought about due to declines in investment banking and asset management revenues. Last week, the Consumer Price Index for December showed prices cooled 
about one-tenth of one percent from the prior month. But prices were still six and a half percent higher than the same month a year ago. Eric Johnson is with Cantor Fitzgerald's head of equity and joined CNBC to say that he believes we're heading into a recession either this year or next, but it is coming. I think if you see what's been going on the past couple weeks, there's a thought that we could have a soft landing that's being priced into, into markets. There's been some short covering going on from hedge funds. CTAs have been, have been buying. But um, I think if you play out the soft landing uh, scenario, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's some downside to that scenario, right? In that scenario, the Fed is unlikely to cut rates. Uh, the 10-year yield, as a result, will probably need to rise Um, And that won't get rid of this concern that a recession is coming, because ultimately this market goes in cycles. The economy goes in cycles. The the unemployment rate is three and a half percent. We are, by definition, at the top approximately of the cycle. And so if the recession doesn't come in 23, the market's then going to think, okay, maybe it's coming on 24. Johnston explains why he believes the rate market is signaling that the economy is going to get worse. One thing that I would say is, I would say a couple things, is number one, the rate market disagrees, right, with that premise. The three-month tenure is inverted by 118 basis points. No so question. The, with the tenure at 3.5%, the Fed going to 5 the rate market is saying they're going to need to cut over 200 basis points in the next two years. That's only going to happen. That's not going to happen if the S&P is at 4,000, the unemployment rate's at 3.5%. So the rate market does think that things are going to get materially worse. Johnson goes on to say that the U.S. economy moves in cycles, and right now we're at the end of a cycle. In the bubble of 2000, everything felt great in February of 2000. We we were at a 30-year low unemployment rate. Things felt great, and then obviously we know things completely fell apart. So in the beginning of these things, things always, people, there's a sense of complacency that goes on, where maybe we can get through this, Mm -hmm. and and, but, but the reality is, is that it always feels this way, in the beginning. And, and like I said, we go, in, we go in cycles. And I think over time, if you sold a 35 to 4% unemployment rate and you bought a 10% unemployment rate, okay. um, you would do very well. And right now, we are towards the end of the cycle. And whether it's a cycle ending in 23 or 24, um, it's probably on its last legs. The head of equity goes on to say that many consumers are chipping away at their savings and that will eventually impact the economy more than it is right now. If I'm wrong, I think wrong will be the market going sideways. Um, I think and and it taking longer than I think to sell off, because I think there's actually as we look at the economy, I actually think the second half of the the economy was going to be worse than the first half. And the reason why is because we still do have an unemployment rate of three and a half percent. There are still excess savings. The consumer is still, at the moment, strong, although they're whittling through their savings and they're increasing their credit usage. So I think it will be pushed towards the back half of the year. However, stocks are a discounting mechanism, as we, as we know. Mm-hmm. And so I do think the sell-off is going to come in the first half. The Elon Musk drama shifts from Twitter to tweets about Tesla, with the beleaguered billionaire now facing a trial over the electric car company. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker has more on this story. The trial, which begins with jury selection today, was triggered by a class action lawsuit on behalf of investors who owned Tesla stock for a 10-day period in August of 2018. 
That's when Elon Musk sent out a tweet claiming he had lined up the financing to pay for a $72 billion buyout of Tesla, which he then amplified with a follow-up statement that made a deal seem imminent. But the buyout never materialized, and now Musk will have to explain his actions under oath. Long before Musk purchased Twitter for $44 billion in October, he'd had his sights set on Tesla, where he continues to serve as CEO. I'm Julie Walker. In a little red Corvette that can blow the tires off your car is coming out next year. Daybreak Insider's Rita Foley has taken a sneak peek at the new ride. And if going from zero to 60 miles per hour in two and a half seconds doesn't jerk your head back, the price of this vehicle will. $104,000. One hundred four thousand dollars. The 2024 Chevy Corvette E-Ray is not powered just by a V8. It's a gas-electric hybrid. The front wheels run on an electric motor. The traditional 6.2-liter V8 powers the back. Total, 655 horsepower. An all-electric version of the Corvette will come out at some point. No date set yet for that. I'm Rita Foley. And finally... According to new reports, NASA has shed light on a new plan to build a successor to the James Webb Space Telescope. Probably the most anticipated next telescope of all is the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope, named after NASA's first female executive who earns the nickname the Mother of Hubble. It had originally been named simply the Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope, and it's currently under construction, expected to launch sometime in 2027. While comparable to Webb in some aspects, the Roman will have some different capabilities and goals. While Webb takes high-definition images in a very narrow range, Roman will have a wider field of view which will allow it to take massive, sweeping pictures of the cosmos, although at the cost of some resolution. As such, the Roman will capture much larger images of the universe and will be better able to look into some of the deepest mysteries in astronomy, such as the nature of dark matter and dark energy. And a breakthrough here would mark one of the greatest scientific discoveries in recent history. On Monday, the Habitable Worlds Observatory announced that its goal is to search for signs of life on habitable exoplanets. To that end, the Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope is a NASA space observatory scheduled to launch into space by May of 2027. Roman will be equipped with a coronagraphic instrument to directly image and characterize exoplanets. This could then lay the groundwork for future observatories to take even clearer images of Earth-like exoplanets in other star systems, an essential step in looking for other locations that could potentially harbor life. The Hubble Space Telescope was designed with a similar functionality in mind and its photos definitely transformed astronomy. And really, they'll continue to do so. Even with Webb and eventually Roman in the skies, Hubble won't be redundant. It will still be the only telescope designed to take images in the ultraviolet spectrum. And so, it will work alongside all other observatories to continue cataloging the universe. But again... 
the Roman will dwarf its ability to see the cosmos at large. It could be capable of capturing views up to 300 times more massive than Hubble can, and many times wider than Webb, offering researchers a look at entire galactic ecosystems. According to Space.com, NASA will turn to the commercial sector for the launch vehicle. Taking that route should reduce the size and weight constraints the telescope will have to meet to get off the ground. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.